Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning, everyone. Please have a seat. Glad you could join us today. This is our seventh time together in um, our beloved series on the Song of Solomon, our sixth week. This is the last one. Um, the author sent, saved the best for last. Let me introduce our time together with a story that I read when I was uh, doing some studying this week. Uh, unfortunately, it's all too familiar. It was this woman describing her grandparents' relationship and their marriage. And she said uh, she was hoping that would never happen to her. They, they were married for over 50 years, but they, not really. She doesn't remember them ever getting along because they just lived separate lives. Separate, they lived uh, separate lives socially. They vacationed separately. They didn't talk often, and they didn't even share even a side of a house together. Um, they were churchgoers, and so, you know, they would never get a divorce because they swore to God that they wouldn't do that, right? But they kind of forgot about the other parts where they swore to God that they would love and cherish each other. So it was selective uh, in their memory about what they had promised God, and they were just going to live that way until they died that way. Well, the wife ends up getting cancer uh, that was attacking her spinal cord, and during, you know, the the medications and the issues that were going on here, her, her back was having spasms, and so she couldn't sleep at night, and she asked her husband if he would come over on her side of the house into her bedroom and, and to massage her back until she would be able to drift off to sleep. Sure, I'll do that. And so he rubbed her back and worked out those knots, and she said as he left, thank you, with words. And he said, uh, you're welcome. I'll see you, I guess, tomorrow. And, and he rubbed her back the next day, and then he talked to her with words, like out loud, about what, she, what he was thinking you know, and feeling, and, and she showed him gratitude for that uh, with words. And then this went on for weeks of him serving her and her showing gratitude and appreciation. And then one night she said, you know, uh, I must tell you that I get afraid sometimes at night. <laughs> Could you spend the night tonight with me? And he said, I will do that. They fell in love. They fell in love. It's, it's a predictable ending. So many of you went way ahead of me on the story because there's somewhat of a formula in great relationships. But they, they found out so late that love is in service. It's in, it's in giving. It's about her showing him respect, right, and appreciation in, in him serving her, right, and caring for her. It, it, was, it was late for them. It's never too late. It's never too late for you. At Grace, this church is absolutely committed to one of the aspects, and maybe, maybe even in the fullest aspect of the promise that Jesus made. Jesus came and said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He meant this life, that you'd have life and have it abundantly. And I think a primary expression of that abundant life is in the context of marriage, or certainly in relationships, but I think especially in marriage, the fullness of the abundant life is found in love. And at Grace, we want you to experience that and not wait too late. And, you know, just to remind you of last week, we had some homework assignments. This, this is a way that we help you with that. Last week, we gave you some homework assignments. And like a good teacher, I'd like to check up on homework. Remember, one of the first things we talked about was just discipline, the discipline of it. And, and the simplest and maybe the easiest one to do is just take a walk, you know. 
Just take a walk with your bride or your girlfriend. Hold their hand while you do that and then talk with words out loud and see if you can do that four to seven times out of the week until the end of July and see if it helps in your relationship. How, how'd you guys, anyone, anybody do? I did that. That was fun. Anybody? Melinda, you raise your hand. Okay, there's, there's. Okay, so there's that one couple. All right. Here's another thing we're asking that you might consider doing, and that is to take this test that we've arranged uh, through uh, the premier uh, marriage group. It's called uh, um, Prepare and Enrich. Uh, they're the most sophisticated uh, marriage diagnostic uh, group in the English-speaking world, and we've gotten about a 30% discount for this church until next Sunday. I mean, this is like uh, a disc utility for your relationship. So if you're dating someone or engaged or married, if you take this test online using this link on the website, and that'll code it in, it's 100% confidential. We're not going to know anything about your specific answers, but it's going to help you evaluate your communication skills, your conflict skills, uh, your finances and what your objectives are, whether they're in sync or out of sync. Um, your intimacy issues, it's going to put it right out there and help you know what maybe some of the symptoms are or some of the problems might be. If you could do that, $25 really, you know, you can spend $25. You spend less on that on a, a date. And so if you would consider doing that, I think that would be great. The other thing, again, we're trying to add to this idea that we're trying to make strong marriages here is we're going to do a series in September, starting September 6th, called Five Words. Now, we've been waiting uh, it's been four years since we did a series on marriage, and we've been neglecting uh, that topic, and so many people here are in that context, but we've been neglecting that topic because we've been waiting all this time for this fall. We, we knew the build, we were hoping the building would have been built, and we were going to wait for the building to be built, and then the series, because that would draw attention, so it'll be mostly built, and so it'll draw some attention to what we could have later, but nonetheless... We've put off this series uh, twice now so we can do it this fall. It's a six-week series starting on the September 6th, and here's what we're asking you to do, that you would come in and, and experience that. But more important, as, as much as that, is because there's five fundamental, five fundamental things. If you just do these things, you can have vitality in your marriage. So come and experience that, but also we were asking each of you to pray for five couples to bring. And it doesn't, it, not married, dating, uh, engaged, whatever they might be, because, and whether they go to church or not, because these things work for everyone. That's why some people's uh, relationships outside the church are more effective than the inside the church, because they're doing these five fundamental experiences together. So pray for five couples to, to invite and bring them here, and then we're asking the whole church for that six weeks period, 80% of our adults to be involved in what we're going to be calling a discussion group, looking at the questions uh, that we learn from in our teaching time and apply them into our relationships. We would love for you to consider recruiting five people maybe on your street and people that you've been having uh, you know, relationships with for low these many years. Say, hey, why don't you meet at our house? We'll just all do this together. Five, well, actually six weeks together studying five words could change. It could change a lot of your life. Ministry potential off the chart. Would you consider doing that? Okay, starting on the sixth. And, and then finally, we've added this other thing that I didn't mention last week, and it's a, it's a, a women's uh, seminar that's coming on August 1st. This is just for engaged gals and married uh, women. doesn't matter what, how long you've been married or the state of your marriage, but uh, uh, Awaken uh, Love is a Bible study that we'll be doing in the women's Bible study next fall, but the author of that study will be in town on that Saturday. So we wanted to make that woman available to y'all uh, if you'd want to hear from her. It's free. 
please talk to someone at the table in the lobby. It's the only table we have. It should be easy to find and talk more about uh, it's applying a song of Solomon to people and how intimacy in your married life affects your spiritual life and how your spiritual life can affect your intimacy life. Wonderful opportunity for us. So don't, don't miss out on that. All right. That's That's what we do at Grace. We do it quite well, and we're trying to do it better to help people experience the abundant life that's found in a deep, intimate relationship with another man or another woman. Okay, that's what we're up up to do. And we're looking at the Song of Solomon now, and we're going to learn this week. We're going to study the last chapter, and this writer saved the best for last. And we're going to look at three poems with three very easy applications. Not necessarily easy to do, but easy to predict. And this week is a little unusual. The Song of Solomon is found in the middle of your Bible. It's a wisdom book, and so it is very application-driven. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's, while it's a love story, it's like a photo album. We've likened it to a photo album but the, because the photos are sometimes out of order. That's how our photo albums are. And we're in the last chapter, and now we find out how the whole thing starts. So when we look at our three poems, just keep in mind that the first poem is going to be about what she was like, the bride, this wife, what she was like growing up, what life was like for her. And then the second poem is going to, we'll apply that. Then the second poem is about how she met her husband. And then finally, we're going to save the absolute climax of the book and some of the best verses written on love for last. Okay? So that's our outline. We're going to go back in time and look at this. If you look at with me in verses eight, chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, we'll see in the beginning, at the very beginning, what this life was like with, for this gal. Now, um, let's, to remind you or inform some of you uh, that weren't here before, this, this young girl does not have a father. Apparently, uh, she lost her father in some context, and so her older brothers are taking on that role. So they're, they're going to be reading. This is them speaking and the way they're looking out after their little sister. It's poetry. Verse 8, she says... We have a little sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day that she is spoken for? If she is a wall, okay, if she's a wall, that is that if she has the moral character to say, okay, look, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to keep people at bay. I'm going to keep myself right, and and I'm I'm a moral and upright person. They say, look, if you do that, little sister, here's what we'll do. We will build towers of silver for her. So the brothers say, look, if you can manage... You know, uh, your, um, your disciplines, right, and your impulses, we will give you silver. We'll give you a dowry. We will celebrate this wedding feast for you, and, and we're just going to enjoy going through life together. On the other hand, they're not going to be passive. Look what it says. But if, you are, if she is a door, right, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. So in other words, if she doesn't have the self-discipline to say no, if she's going to be um, pulled by her passions and her temptations, the big brothers step in and say, no, no, we're, we're not going to let that happen, right? Well, that's what big brothers do. They're taking the part of a dad here, cleaning his gun, interviewing um, people for the date, saying we're going to protect you. But the point is we're going to protect your innocence because that's what we do. That's how, that's how we love you. And so we're, we're going to hope that you can make some of these decisions on your own. But if you can't, that's okay. Uh, freedom, it's, it's overrated. We're going to take that away from you. We'll build, you know, these, these fences of cedar. Her response is this. This is what happens in her life. She chooses well, and she says uh, in verse 10, she says, I'm a wall. She turned out to be a wall. I am a wall, and my breast now she's full grown. And now my breasts are like towers. And thus I have uh, become in his eyes like one bringing contentment or one bringing peace. So she grows up and she becomes a person that says no, that she can, she can uh, manage herself uh, without help 
And it's that very attribute that her husband, her boyfriend, you know, becomes attracted to. That's why it says, and that's what drew him, her, right? his eyes bringing contentment. The idea is that we would get married. It's a great thing, that peace and contentment. It's a great thing for a man to find a wife, it says in the Bible. And that's what she's referring to. Now, let me, it's, it's simple, but let me show you how we can apply this at, at Grace. At, at Grace, we have an amazing premarital and pre-engagement counseling ministry. It's been going on for some 20 years. And uh, it is so good that other people, other churches send their clients to us, their couples to us. And sometimes we export our material to them to help them make uh, a difference in these young people's lives. But, and the reason I bring that up is because this application is going to absolutely show up in premarital counseling because it has to. And it's this, it's this idea that if you're dating someone, right, and, you're, and if, if you get counseled here, one of the questions you're going to hear is, what does your family think of your fiancé? Because if you come from a good family, many of you do, but if you come from a good family and they love you and want what's best for you and they don't like the person you're dating, I want you to understand you're in danger. You're not dating the right person. And you should listen to them, like the older brothers. We're going to look out for you because you might not, your naivete could get you in serious trouble. And so if you come from that, if you come from a background where your mother and father love you and, or your brother and sister and they don't like who you're dating, listen to them. And, and maybe even submit to their wisdom or their objectivity. And even similarly, if you have friends that, that, and you have good friends, let's assume that, let's, you have good friends and they want what's best for you, and your relationship with the person you're dating is driving them away, or there's conflict because of your dating relationship, you should side with your friends because they, they were your friends first and they love you for who you are, not what you can provide for them in many respects. What we have seen over and over again is if you have good friends and good family that are against the, per, the person you're dating and you hang on to that dating and it becomes marriage and it, it leads to ruin. And here's why, because you've lost objectivity by definition. You can't make a sober decision if, if you're in love. You're, you're spellbound. And so this writer here is saying, look, here's, here's, what, here's what you can get if you submit to the objectivity and the, and the love of your friends and your family. They can protect you from making a decision that you'll end up uh, injuring your soul. For. And so that's a great application, right? It's right there out of the Bible. The next section, the next poem is simple with a good application as well. It's verses 11 and 12, and it has to do with their chance their chance meeting. Verses 11 and 12, we find out that when she was, you know, growing up that Solomon had, verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Haman where she grew up and he let out his vineyard to tenants. They were tenant farmers and that was them. Each, of, each was to bring uh, for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver, but my own vineyard, this is talking about her body now, she says, but my own vineyard is mine to give a thousand shekels for you, Solomon, and 200 for those who tended its fruit. My brothers, I owe, them, I owe them a piece of this, a commission, because of the way they cared for me. So, okay, what's this about? Well, you'd have to, you'd have to read the earlier parts of the book. You, if you remember, the, their family is in a tenant farming relationship with Solomon, and it turns out he owns their vineyard, the vineyard that they work. Let's keep going back some more. The brothers, she resented the brothers because she says earlier, my brothers were angry with me and they made me work the vineyard. And that's what made me look kind of ugly and, you know, country girl look. 
And, I, and she didn't like that. But, but what? What's the bigger, broader picture here? That's where she meets her husband, working in this field and, and doing what her brothers that love her were asking her to do. She was submitting to them because they were, kind of had authority in that house. And it worked out pretty nice for her. It was a coincidence that she would run into her husband there. If you're single, let me tell you something about the absolute certainty that you can find in the Bible. That there is no, there is no safer place for you to live and be than in the heart of the will of God. And there's no better place and no more certain place for you to find a mate than right in the will of God. There, there, you don't pay the price for righteousness, okay? You don't pay the price for living your life surrendered to God. You, you find fruit there. And, and that's th- this idea of the sovereignty of God working in the context of the drudgery of life is the story that, Jesus, or the, that the Lord loves to play the most. So when we look at this, when we look at this application, you know, how, when, when you, you know, when you go to dinner with someone, they ask, how did you meet? Your story of how did you meet it's supposed to be filled and infiltrated with the value of the sovereignty of God being involved. It didn't just happen, you know, that you were working in this field and the field owner and, and you end up getting married. And, and I, didn't, I could have made a list of some crazy stories we've heard here at Grace, but I didn't want to make a list because they're so varied. About, it's, a, it's a perspective of seeing that God will do the work here the heavy lifting. You'll do your part, but God will do the heavy lifting. And, and so, you know, sometimes the sovereignty of God's story is, hey, she was the girl next door that I grew up with. Sometimes the sovereignty of God is, is <laughs> this was the last email I was going to respond from this silly dating website. I wasn't going to do one more. I thought I'd do one more, and, and, then, <laughs> and then they're getting married. We have those stories because people see what God is doing. They're not, they're not manipulating or conniving their lives. They're letting God's sovereignly, sovereignty do the rowing for them. Do you, you see? And, and so, but this happens mostly in the drudgery of life, the mundane parts of life. Don't lose patience with this, Luke, right? You know, you, uh, you work in that crop field, might end up killing up a Death Star later on in the movie, maybe just saying. Look, I read, I read a fascinating story about a woman who was committed to living by faith and putting that faith in action. You might have heard the story, but she was um, a desperate woman in poverty and living with her mother-in-law who was also in poverty, and she was just trying to love her mother-in-law and get, you know, make ends meet. And so she was a migrant worker just like culling the fields for leftover scraps that she could bring home to her mother-in-law and they could survive. That's all she was trying to do. She was just doing her part to keep fed. And then one day, the, you know, the field owner dropped by, and she, he saw her, and their eyes met, and they fell in love, and they became the great-grandparents of the mighty King David. It's the story of Ruth. The story of Ruth is called a love story, and it's a story about a migrant worker that's a widow serving her mother-in-law widow, trusting God to find a way. That's how most sovereignty stories go. So, again, we, when, we look at this, when we look at this second application about how to find a mate, there needs to be a passive restfulness, a story of God doing the work, okay? Listening to the people above you or the people that might have authority over you. And that's, that's how that story rolls, rolls out. Now it looks at, now I'm going to jump ahead. Actually, I, I wanted to save the best for last. 
in verses 6 and 7, uh, we're going to look at the secret to living happily ever after. In 6 and 7, I would say quite arguably the two uh, most poetic and beautiful verses on the power of love to transform. That's what, that's what the writer is speaking about. We don't know who's actually doing the speaking. We don't know if she is or he is. But certainly the poet here is trying to convince us of the, of the potential that we would have if we would focus on love instead of other things. So in verse 6, it starts off with where, where, love, gets its, where love gets its foundation and its power. So she says this, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. That is a phrase of, con- of commitment. And let me just review. Commitment, commitment to each other, okay, brings forth a trust in each other, which causes a, a considerable amount of safety. It produces safety. And it's in this context of safety where love is able to thrive. When she says, put me on, as a seal on your heart, put me as a seal on your arm, that's a, the, the idea of a seal is, is a proof of ownership. Look carefully. It does not say, put my seal on your heart. She says, put me as a seal upon your heart. She says, I want you to give yourself entirely to me in private and in public, on your heart, where no one else sees this. And so all your thoughts and meditations and commitment and and fantasies are are focused on me. I want me to be the seal on your heart. And then on your arm, I want want you to own me. I want to be owned by you. I want to own you as well. So wherever you go, there's no looking around and everybody knows you belong to me. And that's why you can, you can see this, this idea that commitment brings about trust, and the trust brings uh, safety, and it's the safety where love gets to thrive and, and flourish and have its power. That's why the book three times says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. This verse says, you know, put me on your soul as a seal. Awesome power. Through commitment, right? Because it gives trust and gives us a safety and freedom. So if you look at that as kind of a foundation, look now at the power of, this, of, of the love that can have a, a, a releasing transformation in our lives. So now we're going to, whenever you look, when you think of power, right, almost always uh, we drift to uh, negative aspects of power, power d- destruction, right, because what would take men uh, decades to build, evil can tear down in a matter of moments. We, we all know stories where that's true. And so this author now is going to say, yeah, there's a lot of power out there to destroy, but love, love has more still. Look what it says in, in I think it's verse 7. It says, uh, for love is stronger than death. Jealousy, and that's a synonym, synonymous with love. It's verse 6. Uh, unyielding as the grave. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy unyielding as the grave. What is the greatest strength that has plagued man in all of life, death. There is no running from death. There's no hiding. Everyone will die, right? Death just like, death just walks in, right? Doesn't ask. Just barges right in, makes an appointment, and it is kept with or without your consultation and with or without your permission. That's the power of death. And it, death is fine if we just stay distracted, if we stay busy. 
so that we don't have to think about its certainty or its meaning. It doesn't care. It doesn't care if you, if, you know, if you meditate on the power of death. It doesn't care if you're intelligent and you're going to try to argue with death. It doesn't care if you're wealthy and can spend great sums of money to buy it off. It's not for sale. can't be bought. It doesn't matter if you're healthy. Look at you and your diet and exercise. Even if you're young, death is not prejudice. He calls, we obey. He summons, we respond. And the writer here is saying, yes, we agree. There's power in death, but love can do things like that for, 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 for goodness sake, for life, not for death. He, he's saying when, when um, death comes, right, it, 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 it has the power to take. It has the power to end. It has the power to, to do something with a, a young, strong person and turn them into a decaying piece of rot. But love, he says, right, love has the power to make new again. You make all things new again. You bring things back to life. People say, I feel alive again because of love, because love can change a soul. Something spiritual can happen in your life. Death can only take you physically. So the the writer here is saying, you know, there's power, you bet. There's power in love too. The next thing he says, you know, let's let's talk about the next thing to compare to. He says, like a burning blaze, verse 7 now, we're in 7. He says, it's a burning like a, a blazing fire. We've seen the power of blazing fire. You can still go out to Bastrop and see the wreckage there, right? Like a mighty flame. The word mighty there is the stem word for Yahweh, right? For, so it's like God's flame. It's lightning. So love is like, like a, a runaway fire. It is like lightning. If you study the fear of man, you will find that it is always, for the most part, the fear of nature. And on the first of the list is lightning. Because lightning has such a potential of, of devastation, we try to harness it. We're not very good at it because of its, of, it, of its frightening power. Its frightening potential captivates us. It blinds us in our visions. When the thunder hits, right, it'll, it will shake our body. It will stop our, whole, our heart. It can, right, it can pulse us. It can blow us to the ground. A single piece of lightning could hit like a 320-year-old oak tree and just split it and obliterate it like... Uh, it's though it was a kitten walking on a brittle twig. You know, crackle? It's no loss. And so when we think about the, this, um, this frightening source of potential power, this writer comes in and says, ah, oh, love is that way. <laughs> it can be frightening as well. It has frightening potential. But it can bring life from death. It can do something more. It's easy to kill. It can bring things back. How many of our fairy tales, think about it, not just you know, English speaking, but internationally, how many fairy tales have this as a, as a storyline? Right? That somebody is cursed or they die or put to sleep in some context and only a kiss of true love. Why is that tugging on our soul so much? Why do we hope that to be true? Because it is. Because, because power has that potential that exhilarating, even frightening potential. The next thing he compares it to is floodwaters. Many of the waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot uh, sweep it away. <laughs> well, we know about floodwaters too, don't we, these days? But, but that's, that's frightening. 
It leaves us speechless. You might have seen some uh, TV news people, and they're trying to describe what flood, what this particular flood is like. And then when they see uh, that... <laughs> The bullying that floodwaters have and, and, and how it's relentless in its pursuit of doing whatever it wants, often newscasters, they just stop talking. There's no words to describe. It's sheer will to destroy. And this writer says, we know that, but love rebuilds. It has that kind of, of power as well, but to rebuild. We sang today, you make beautiful things out of dust. It's the love of God that makes beautiful things out of dust. It's the love of God that makes beautiful things out of us. That's what this writer keeps saying over and over again. It's this essential power of love that's there for us. That's how you live happily ever after. And the last thing I, what I really love about it in, the, in his last comment is how it's, it's priceless, but it's free. Look at he says. He says, if you, if you were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. In other words, if you would if you would try to buy love, you don't understand love. If, you're, if you think you can get a checkbook out and get this, you can't. And that's like the ultimate equalizer in this mystical, spiritual thing we call love. Because it doesn't matter your economic status. You can experience it. And so the king and the queen and the castle on the hill, they resent the poor people living beneath them because they have love and the king and queen can't buy it. It doesn't, you can't pay for it. Money can't buy you love, right? Isn't that the Beatles, right? So listen, the Song of Solomon is about, it's a, the, the story is about love. And this section, the reason it ends this way, this is the climax of it, it's, it's the writer is saying it is available, right? Its strength is available. Its frightening potential is there for us. Its, its power is, it's priceless, but it's free, you should desire this, and you can have this, because love, see, love can do what these other things can't. Love can change a soul. Love can change a soul. Grace transforms. What else can? Let me give you a story. This might help put some things together. We were working with some college students a few years ago, and one of the girls was a bit of a pill, and um, she uh, was... Uh, intoxicated by uh, pride and stubbornness. And she was having a hard time getting along with anyone else um, in her little tribe. And so we were asked to confront her about it. And we said, we have. She can't hear. She won't listen, right? She knows everything already, and she's tolerant towards no one. But we'll give her this last warning, okay? That humiliation, not humility, humiliation and loneliness were banging on her door. And it wasn't going to go on for much longer. She answered the door. There was a lot of crying. And you know, the Bible says it is the love of God that drives us to repentance. Yeah. And it was that love of God that she experienced in her humiliation and her loneliness that caused her to become new. She was new and improved. I'm gonna, I don't want to leave the story there because there's so much more about the power of love in it. The new improved Sally ended up being able to travel and see some of the most beautiful vistas that our globe has to offer. And she saw these things 
and there was much crying. And she wrote and said, you know, the love of God can bring you pain and discipline, and that will, it, ha- it can cause you to change. And I'm thankful for that. But I didn't know that the love of God could, could bring you to worship and to praise, and that can change you if you let it. Joy can change you. The love of God comes in many flavors, but the love of God is powerful. Grace transforms. I mean, think of... <laughs> The artists know this. You artists out there, you're probably like, duh. And then the, re- you know, the left brain guys in the room going, oh, love, love, love. Listen to the artists. Listen to them. They have figured it out. Right? How many songs and poems have been written about this transforming power of love? Every good story is a love story. Every good story is a love story. Look, laws can make us compliant, and they can get us in order. And and evil has the potential, if we allow it, to make us bitter and angry and ruin us. But love, it can can be unleashed. Listen to the two probably more famous verses, maybe the most famous verse in the entire Bible. It is for God so, right, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Look, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world so that whoever would believe in him, that the whole world might be saved. It's the, re, the, the, the way you get in on the love, okay, is to experience it first and foremost through a salvation experience, and that's the beginning of your story. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ was not, he's not an ordinary man. He was God in a skin suit. And, and he didn't die as a martyr he was just unlucky to be in Jerusalem on that certain Friday. He came with a purpose, and the purpose was that the anger of God towards our individual, our individual sin had a price attached to it, and we could not afford to pay it. And so he came, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could experience his righteousness. And so he came, and his beating and his death was so that strategically, think of the genius in this, so that God could be both just and the justifier. So God now, with the bills being paid, he could now freely give out to anyone that would receive it, he could give out pardons. And it is in that pardon that you receive that your soul, the absolute nature of your soul is transformed. You can't do it without that. Let me ask you just a simple question. Have you ever prayed a prayer that went something like this? You know, God, I... I can't, I, can't tr- I can't base our relationship on me trying to be good enough anymore because I don't feel I can't be good enough, and I can't. This isn't changing me. I can change my conduct for a certain period of time, but my soul is not changed. And so I need you. I will not bring ri- any type of my righteousness or goodness to this conversation. I now surrender. See, the only way this salvation experience works, there is a caveat that you— you're on bended knee with open hands. It, you have to say he's Lord. That means he's king. He's boss. And you have to have your hands open saying, I'm, I'm empty. I have nothing, right? We sang that too. I'm nothing. Have you ever prayed a prayer where you say, I have nothing. I have nothing good to bring to this thing, but I will receive everything from you. You could do that today. You could start this journey. And like I said, it's a start. I'm encouraging you to do that today. 
But that's the beginning. Because the life of a Christian is a person um, that, that, that just goes out, right, and, and exudes this love to other people, giving generously, right, recklessly, abundantly on other people. That's the life of a Christian. It's not a salvation experience, and then I'm going to go become a grumpy old person still, right? I'm getting off that track. And so why don't we? Why don't we love infectiously, courageously, recklessly, generously to people around us? But what about your mate? How co- I mean, if you look in her eyes, look into his eyes. Are they the recipient of reckless love? It's because we're afraid. It comes back to, see how this whole thing's looping around to safety again. It's about safety again. We don't want to give that because it, may, it exposes us. And the fall, we think, will crush us. It will break us. And so, again, because, there, because of safety and because there's not enough trust because our commitment is not what it ought to be. And now we see that the commitment when it comes to love, is first and foremost to God. When we make this deep commitment to, to him, then we can have this stronghold trust, and then we have this reckless safety that we can freely give love. Let me show you how this works, okay, in a relationship, how we play out the Christian gospel in our lives. Melinda and I have been married about seven years, and um, our relationship kind of plateaued, the depth of our relationship plateaued, it's almost entirely my fault. No, okay, it was all my fault. And, and this, what we're referring to, is exactly what the issue was. That I had, I had walked a, a pretty good path, and the, I, I guess uh, you know, the ground below us wasn't too far down. I could, in, I could enjoy the, the crash if it happened. But now we were getting into uncharted uh, land, and I felt like any more steps on this tightrope called commitment and life and marriage was going to be without a net. And I was afraid if I lost her, if she were to pass, if she were to die, that I would not be able to find me. You see, I was losing so much of me in the us that if she were to be gone, I didn't know if there was anything left. And so I was withholding. I wasn't giving love recklessly. I wasn't being dangerous. And, and, and so I, here's the thing. I, I, I had a friend come over to the house with us, and he's a professional counselor. He, said, he walked us back through this. I had to make a deeper commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him. And because, because through that I could have or a commitment to him could lead to trust that would bring about safety. What does that mean, though? What does it mean to make a deeper commitment to him? How did I live by faith so that I could love? That's the question, right? I had to believe that God was better than all the king's horses and all the king's men. Then if I were to lose my wife, if I gave myself away without a net, that when the smoke cleared, he, there'd be enough for him to say, hey, we'll get through the next couple decades, okay? Just, we, we can do this. And so I had to trust in my commitment to him that led to trust that we live, that's what it means to live by faith. See, people that live by faith, okay, Christians that are actually living by faith, they'll say this, that they've been crucified with Christ, and they no longer live, but the life they live now, they live by faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. What was crucified when they say that? What was crucified that keeps coming back? Addiction to safety. That was, that's supposed to be gone. Your, your pride, your ego, 
your commitment to making sure that you'll land on your feet. That's what has to die for you to be an aggressively lovely, loving person. You have to crucify that. That's what has to happen. This is like, I think this time together is like the final plea here. I think that's what's happening in this book. The final plea, okay? Be a person that loves. Be a person that can receive love. Okay? Maybe the whole point of this series, maybe today, the whole point of today is to say, I want to trust in the power of God's love, and I'll receive that, and then I will give that plentifully. Would you do that? Would you ask, would you, come on, let us go, last plea, would you do that? Could you bury a hatchet? Could you drop an offense? Can you forget something in your past? Can you move forward? There's there's so much available. There's so much available. Empty hands, empty hands. Let's pray to that end, okay, as a church. Lord Jesus, I, I, there's probably a few people here, Lord, that um, have been, they're spending their whole life thinking that, you know, if they're good enough, that you'll like them. And I, I'd ask, Lord, that you would convince them, your spirit would speak to their soul and, and show them that uh, they can't change. And, and they, they have to stop trying. They'd receive a gift of salvation, not some kind of merit of salvation. They'd receive that and become a, a child of yours. Lord, there's so many of us here that, that dam up and, and harness and govern the potential of love in our life because we will not crucify a, a love of safety. We will not crucify our ego and our pride. Lord, I'd, say, I'd ask today that we'd do that. Come on. The train's leaving. Guys, let the power of love loose. It is... It, 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 it's stronger than death. It's frightening in its potential, more so than lightning blasts. It makes its way through you like a flood. It's free, but it, you can never pay for it. Could you take that? Would you, would you, choose, would you choose to want to live that way? Lord, I pray that for our church. I pray that for grace. Would you let us be that type of church with those types of families, with those types of relationships? Truth. Let the truth set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.